On this episode of The Dusty Allen Show, I'm joined by Donna Buchanan. Donna is an experienced yoga instructor, business owner, mother, and a vegan. We have a great chat about some of the common misconceptions about yoga, in particular, why blokes don't like to do it. We also chat about the difference between yoga on the gram and yoga in real life, her vegan lifestyle, and that time that she took a pig for a walk on an LA beach. All right, let's do it. Come on in. The water's great. You're now listening to The Dusty Allen Show. Welcome to The Dusty Allen Show. Donna Buchanan, welcome to The Dusty Allen Show. Thanks, Dusty. It's a real pleasure to be here. And I, I must say, I didn't think I was cool enough to be on this show because I've listened to all your other guests and... They're very cool. So I feel a bit like maybe I'm not as uncool as I thought I was. <laughs> no, you're on the right track. I think if you assume that you're uh, like cool is probably not something that I'm a person who can, who could has any say on what is cool, what isn't, but you're, you're a valued guest of the show and someone I've wanted to have a chat with for on the show for a long, long time. Obviously we talk, we talk a lot regularly, but no, everyone, you know, I think if anyone tries to work out, why they're on the show and they'll end up doing their head in. It's just you're someone who I find uh, incredibly interesting and I think you've got a, got a great story that we'll, uh, we'll be able to share with uh, the listeners of the show. Yeah, oh, that's great. Thanks, Dust. Well, I just consider you like the brother I never had, you know, when I first met you. You were a little bit cool towards me, actually. Can we start with this story? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the, back in the day where you were working at uh, Lululemon in Perth in the NX building and mm. I'd just become an ambassador and, uh, you know, I didn't really understand the jam, you know, really what did it mean. And uh, I got invited to store, I think, just one day, come in and say hi to the team in store. So off I went and got in there and, and there's all the girls, you know, that I'd met before and a few new faces and you were one of them. And one of the girls came up to me and said, oh, have you met Dusty yet? I said, oh, no. And a name like Dusty, to me at the time, sounded kind of an American name, like yep. maybe from, because you, 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 they had also introduced you as he's just got back from Canada. So I just assumed you were maybe from there originally and, you know, you were here and, and then you were just like, hey, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so just disappointment thing is going to be some like uh, yeah with an accent exotic on it's like get a hey you going you're like oh right he's it just... came down a little notch but um but yeah you were kind of you must have been really busy and in the thick of stuff because you just you were just like hey going and i was like oh yeah hey you know when it's <laughs> you know when someone just kind of bobs you off just gently and you just oh. go and you know no it was it's not and i'm not having a go at you i just remember going oh <laughs> Well, now, but, no, but then after that, we just like, we obviously we, we crossed paths heaps of times after that and you came to yoga heaps and we just got to know each other. And then we just started being professional plus ones. And that's when it really, you know, cemented the friendship, you know, the well, there, things, things really kicked off then I suppose. Yeah. Well, look, I, I apologize. It breaks my heart because I never want to leave that impression on someone. And I would like to think, and to anyone else in the world who I may have done that to, please know that my mom was probably occupied on something else and I wasn't very good at that point in time in being present to uh, to give the space to acknowledge someone or meet someone. So hands down, this is a blanket apology for me being a rude bastard to anyone <laughs> when I first met them because I'm very big on, I think you, you get one chance to make a first impression and thankfully you're a, you're a forgiving or an open-minded person and you 
you didn't uh, you know judge me on that. Hold it, uh, you didn't hold it against you. But you know that I do have names for you know certain people, so I can remember them. Just it's, just it's a it's a technique I use to remember names, and so you were distant dusty in my mind for a little oh, while. There, just distant dusty. Right. That's how I remembered you, but it only lasted until I met you the next time. Then I was like, "Oh, dear Dusty, he's so dear, he's so sweet." So, yeah, you didn't hold on to distant Dusty for very long. <laughs> oh, I I apologise, and I'm glad that no, I. No, no, no. no, I'm only teasing. I'm only teasing that you're 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 a great guy, and that's why we're friends. Because I only surround myself with people that are just like you know like-minded and and are fun and entertaining like you. So yeah, that's why we're friends. Well, it's, it's got me thinking now that. That's that's going back. That would have been towards the end of 2012, I yeah. reckon. So yeah. yeah, going on on knowing you for for eight years, and it's safe to say that like a fair bit has changed since then. Or since, I suppose so. The way I came to know you is you just opened your is it your first yoga studio. Is that right? And yep. like circa yep. 2012. About that, or just slightly before that. Actually, it was more like 2013. So I was still just kind of laying the foundations, I suppose. But yeah, it was it was not long after we met that the, I did open the vine. But yeah, around that time. And I suppose now, looking back, and you know, focusing on like yoga, I was obviously familiar with yoga, but hadn't done a great deal of it at that point in time. And I think, you know, coming from say, North America, where yoga had been commonplace for probably at least 10 years, I feel that you know, Australia was a bit of a lag in in that happening. And then you say you go to like Perth, which is normally either six months or twelve months behind, you know, the rest of the rest of Australia. And you basically started your own business, you know, co founded uh, the Yoga Vine and it's kind of grown since then. Yeah. So I'd been um I'd been a, at a studio practicing and did my teacher training with another well known studio in Perth and um, Yoga Om it was called. And it was at Yoga Om that I met my now business partner. So we um, we were just kind of, we were very dedicated to our, our practice of Ashtanga. So it was very diligent and very disciplined practice where we would be there at, you know, quite often around five o'clock in the morning, um, practice for a good couple of hours, you know, just rolling out our bodies in this very disciplined practice and then, um, you know, go about your day after that, but do that every day, six days a week. So um, we got to know each other really well. And yeah, the end of 2012, I think we were going to a new year and some stuff had been going on in my personal life that required me to really just go with those changes as well. And it was almost like, well, I'd been working in the city in corporate yoga doing, you know, office yoga for people. Um, I'd completed my teacher training uh, a couple, about a year or so beforehand. So I'd been doing this corporate yoga and there was this real gap in the market in, in the city. And so Kate, my business partner and I were talking about it one day and said, let's just go in and see. And um, what was great about also that affiliation with Lulu is they were so supportive of this little business. And honestly, we were as green as they come we had no idea really what we were doing so to have the support of a massive company like lululemon as well was really it was the the, the i guess the support that we really needed and and it was essential to have something like that behind you going into you know we were really driving blind i think but you know also we just were a little naive which is not a bad thing in um in life to be a little bit naive because it, there's no fear when you're a bit naive you've got no expectation, no 
kind of there's anticipation but you just don't know what you're doing so you go a bit naively into things and that we did for sure and but we gosh we learned a lot in those early days so it wasn't a bad thing to be a bit naive about opening a business and not really knowing what you were doing having no business you know degree or management skills whatsoever but um so often you hear that story of people starting their businesses with no idea and and how it's literally like getting thrown out to sea without a life raft <laughs> you just got to you sink or swim and thankfully we we swam we waited water for a while but we did swim eventually and yeah we we did okay in that in that space there so it was a really good start start to things actually I think it, it goes like, you know, coming into it, being humble, know, like like it's, it's, a, it's a well said sort of thing, you know, you don't know what you don't know and being prepared to ride the bumps is when you, when, you, when you get to them. Now, obviously, it's not an uncommon thing for someone to, you know, open a yoga studio anywhere in the world, but tell me, like, how, how difficult is it? Like, because I, I, most people know a lot of like yoga teachers become a much more popular vocation in the last 10 to 15 years and different people jump into a career teaching yoga for different reasons. I know some people who just become yoga was a hobby, like a pass on and something that they really grew to love and it become part of their lifestyle. But how difficult is it to take the jump from say being well, first and foremost, you know, doing your, your teacher training, which is, is a commitment in itself, your, your 300 or so hours, but then jumping instead of just being, a, an instructor who is on a schedule somewhere and teaches someone else to really take that next step and set up your own operation? Yeah, it's, um, you know, being, being a yoga teacher that is um, where I started was I was just simply teaching in the studio that I practiced in. So it was baby steps for me and it felt really comfortable and really easy and I, I wasn't I was working for someone else and, you know, then a teacher from another studio came to my class one day and I was immediately intimidated that she was in the class, but she came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I'm looking for some new yoga teachers at my um, studio. Would you like to come down and teach a class? So I did that, ended up teaching for her as well and taught at a couple of different studios and at a couple of different gyms and, and just, I like to use the word whore myself because I think it sounds funny, but <laughs> whore myself out there as a yoga teacher and taught for, you know, anyone and everyone all in sundry in Perth. And it was a really good introduction to kind of having a little business, a bit of a quasi business where I was just, you know, doing it for myself, but I was working for other people. So it was this kind of halfway leap between just doing this thing that I love to do this hobby as such. Um, and I'd been practicing for about, you know, 10 years before I did my teacher training, or about eight years actually um, before I did teacher training. And so it felt like a well-oiled kind of machine in that the practice was very well-oiled. Um, going from student to teacher was a bit clunkier. And I remember my first class as a teacher um, <laughs> was at the studio that I was teaching at. And bless him, my, my first, um, well, actually my second yoga teacher, um, he... Uh, his feedback at the end was somewhat not constructive. <laughs> he just sort of said, what was that? <laughs> and oh. that made me reflect quite um, harshly on myself. But I think that it was good to be thrown out, um, you know, without a, a rope, so to speak, because I just, you, you jump in the deep end of this stuff and you learn re really fast, a bit like what I was saying before about the business. But the leap to going into owning your studio is, like that was a really big leap of faith. I just, you know, and I think by that stage I had a really, I felt like I had a good understanding of the practice. I think I'd worked for different studios and seen a bit of behind the scenes as well. 
So I didn't feel as scared. But again, I think a lot of that was probably a little bit of naivety on my part, but I didn't feel too scared. And actually the thing that we did, which was again a little bit, I mean, it sort of says a lot about maybe who I am as a person, just taking things slowly, but we, we kind of decided to go pop up. So it wasn't like we had committed to, you know, we had no outgoings. We didn't commit to a studio space where there was a lease. We didn't, um, you know, buy any props or, or have a computer and database like that. It was literally just going into a space in Perth. And at the time there were all these pop-up ventures going on and we thought, well, pop-up donuts, let's do pop-up yoga. You know, why not? So it was again, a little bit of a, um, you know, baby step in and a tiptoe into this bigger realm of owning a business, um, which I'm grateful for because it gave us, well, it gave us so many of those things that you need in the beginning stages, like how does a business run really? And what, and what you don't realize is how hard you're going to be working and how much you are going to be working, not only on the floor, you know, you're not only pouring the coffee, you're serving the coffee, you're making the coffee, you're doing the coffee beans at the back. The whole thing is you. And thank goodness it was two of us because I don't know if I would have gone on if it was just me. It was a lot of work, but it was so fun. And it was, it was so great being in a space where there were no overheads and no commitments in that sense. So it actually made it a really easy transition for us. When I think about what I do now with Kate, with our studio space, it's, if we had have gone from just being, you know, the teacher going around teaching other studios to owning our own business like that, it would have been a bigger, I think a way scarier jump, but um, it was good the way we did it. We just, we just had trainer. We actually joked about this for ages. We had trainer wheels on for ages and then we, we were wearing, um, you know, little, little kids. We used to say we used to have our little socks on and then we pulled our big girl socks up when we got our, our studio. <laughs> Which I kind of like the idea of wearing knee high socks now even, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was um, it was a good transition. I, I'm really glad we did it that way. And I, I look at look at your business. I've been lucky enough for those years that I was living in Perth as well to sort of you know as a casual observer see things grow, see you move into into a into a permanent space and and those sort of things. What's the the like? I, I often have like I I personally know a lot of yoga instructors. You know, one, wonderful people, and I, the the the, and we've spoken about this. Like, I think there sometimes comes to like a point where when you decided that your business was going to grow and you're going to say, expand your team and that sort of stuff, did it get to a point where you realize, or is it, is it common sense to everyone that there's only so many classes that you can teach in a week? You know, you're limited by it. You can't, you know, teach, you know, 50 classes a week, that sort of stuff. At what point do you go, okay, great. Now we need to get more teachers, you know, get like a bigger space, have more offerings, do teacher trainings and do retreats and, and those sort of things. Yeah, it was, it was probably after the pop-up ended because the pop-up was, was quite small in schedule. So what we had to offer was literally a morning and being in the city, we, our big sort of, you know, come see us was at lunchtime sort of, you know, advertising. Um, and then we had one evening class. So we only did three classes a day and we split it between the two of us and it was easy. And then we had another pop-up space for a little while when um, the first one ended and it was only because we were still in between deciding where we wanted to have our permanent space. And we did that for another year, I think. So we had two years of pop-up and it was in that second year that we expanded the classes and we, we had a couple of teachers come in. So we had Claire Pianta who has her own studio now and we had Misha and we had 
a couple of others who don't live in Perth anymore, but um, Rachel, um, who used to work at Lululemon, also popped in, and um, Anna Coventry, who lives overseas now. But we started to expand that and bring some other people in. And then we could work more on the business. And I think this was the thing that the, the um, step that I didn't know was going to happen. And this isn't, you know, like I was saying before, you just don't know until you know, you know, what you have to do. And so it meant that Kate and I could start going, okay, we're not in there as much. We're not on the floor anymore serving the coffee. Now let's get in the back of the, in the kitchen and start, you know, preparing some new things on the menu. So we looked at retreats and things like that and, and workshops to start with. Um, and we did some handstand workshops and we did um, a trip to Morocco. We did a retreat over there in Marrakesh, which was amazing. And we just did a few things like that. And, that that's the other side of your business where you can start sort of um, once you've got it running pretty smoothly, you can step out of it a little bit and start looking at, well, what else can we do that actually is a bit more creative thinking maybe and, and generating some more income. Cause basically it is, you know, a studio is quite hard to run it. And now we know with our space that we've had for about six years now, you know, it costs money to run it, it's paying your staff and super, and it's like a proper business now. So, you know, you're sort of looking at other ways to generate income um, because there's only so much yoga you can do, you know, everyone, is always kind of looking for the next thing. And, you know, if you compare yourself to a, I don't know, a restaurant, you can come up with new menus or new dining times or degard station things or whatever, but yoga is just yoga. So you have to try to look at some other things that you can do to create, um, yeah, that impact and a little bit more excitement. It's funny because I, I just love yoga and I'm, you know, I'm always happy just doing yoga, but, uh, you know, just a, late I've been doing running and, you know, I was, I was doing the gym for a while. And so there is those things that we do as individuals, but as a studio, you're, you're sort of, you know, you're limited just to offering maybe yoga. Maybe there's a bit of Pilates that can come onto the schedule or, you know, something that's a fusion of the two. We did a little bit of a, a class for a while there with, um, with our friend Jazz Frame who ran it for us, which was a, um, she's a PT. So she did some weights with yoga, which was really fun. Um, but essentially it's just yoga. We're doing yoga. So yeah. So workshops and, um, retreats happened and then when we moved into the new space that we've been in for six years we we took a, a long hard look at training and that was a year-long process of getting the training written out the curriculum was written mostly by Kate um, her other job in you know her other world away from yoga is curriculum and um, project management at uni so it was fantastic having someone in our little team that was you know really proficient in that so she got all that sorted out for us so yeah, so we've been doing that for a little while now. But, yeah, it's definitely – you get to a point where you, you, you do have to step out of the business somewhat so that you can create a bit more momentum in other ways. You know, how how do I grow this business? We can't do it when you're in there. You have to get out of it a little bit and hand the reins over to someone, you know, else to do a little bit of that running of day-to-day -day stuff so that you can work on growing it. And is there any – any more kitten or cat yoga classes going to be added to the schedule at all? Oh, well, I had a, a, a bride contact me last year for her um, bride's party. What do you call that? A, a hens. Party? Hens. Sorry. Yeah. Hens. Um, and she comes to the studio as a regular student and she said, oh, I'd really love to do some cat yoga as my bride's party, as my hens party. And so I was, I was all over that. Leave it with me. I'll sort it out for you. So we, we went back to the cat. I know you've been involved with our other cat yoga that we did for charity for the Cat Haven. Um, a couple of years back, Dust, you were front and centre with that. And uh, 
I think we even did a little photo shoot, didn't we? You got clawed by the cat. Cats went a bit mad on on the old uh, on the old bod because you I had did. the ring out. Well, kittens, kittens. I think it was. Yeah, the very uh, yeah, not great yes. on you know when they're a bit scared and you know being being picked up and you know trying to sit still for a photo. But probably yeah, worth worth it for the gram. You know, those uh, those ones. Um, yeah, yeah. We had reflection a bit as well. <laughs> may or may not have been a uh, been a dating profile pic, but we, we can get to we'll get to that uh, get to that later. With 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 yoga, there. It seems that with the changes that you've seen in the time, how long, how many years have you been practicing yoga? Oh, now because I'm I'm I date back to the Jurassic period, so I've been <laughs> I've been practicing for about it's it's probably now over twenty years, but but really regularly, really um, consistently, probably about fifteen. Okay, so given that you're well experienced in in yoga from being you know like a, a student in the early days to become like a teacher then a studio owner and, you know, uh, and take, taking people through like teacher training, you know, trainer, that sort of stuff. What is it particularly that I won't say like guys specifically, but what's, there's such an aversion to, to yoga. Not, not such, no, there's occasionally an aversion to yoga. And the thing that I hear all the time, and I know social, social media is like a big culprit for it is that, I can't do yoga. I'm not flexible or, you know, they see someone standing on a rock in the middle of the beach, you know, doing, I don't know, lotus pose or something uncomfortable, dancers pose, something that I can't do. And like, I can't do that. You know, and it's like, well, few people can, you know, so what's your thoughts on the, the average person's perception of yoga? I think, I mean, I hear it all the time too. People come, um, you know, I'll be at a party somewhere or something and they'll go, oh, what do you do? I say, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. And they'll be like, oh, I couldn't do yoga, just not flexible, terrible hamstrings, got dysplasia in the hips or, you know, they make up mm. something, I can't do it. And I always, my comeback is, well, that's why yoga exists, like to make you more flexible. So, I mean, back in the day, a million years ago, you know, thousands of years ago, it was to, you know, make your body more supple so that you could sit for long periods of time and meditate. And, um, and also, you know, to stop, um, you know, prepubescent boys going off and getting their rocks off with girls just to keep them mm-hmm. disciplined. Yep. <laughs> but, um, you know, I hear it a lot too. And I, I, my perception of that is, um, you know, I guess they have a perception that we all are all sitting around with our legs behind our head, drinking cups of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and it just isn't like that. It's funny. I had a guy come to class last night, actually, and we should talk about men and yoga because it's mostly men that say that to me, um, you know, can't do yoga cause yeah, I've got, you know, um, footballers hammies or something like that. But he, he said to me when he walked in, I'm not, I'm not going to be very good at this. Mm. And, you know, and, and I always just kind of, I mean, I always turn it into a little bit of a, a, a laugh and a, something light, but it sort of also kind of worries me that people think that they have to um, be good. And it, I guess it's positively reinforced on social media, you know, when there's a girl doing a dancer's pose or whatever, leg behind her head on a rock in the, in the ocean somewhere, you know, um, with a candle in her hand, you know, like that's just not yoga. And, mm. and it's, it is sad to think that that's the perception that yoga, you know, you have to do all of those things and you simply don't. I mean, it's, it's about just getting on your mat and connecting to yourself, you know, and connecting to, to the way you feel. I think in this day and age, we've all forgotten how to let ourselves feel, you know, everything it's, it's hard and fast around us all the time. And so, 
you know, our, our um, way of coping is to just kind of, you know, put it, you know, put it all kind of behind some armor so we don't have to deal. And yoga helps to break all those things down and, and just come back to the, the, you know, the simplest of things, which is connecting to yourself and, and feeling yourself, feeling yourself breathe, feeling how your emotions come up when you practice and connect you back to that as well. So it's, it's still, it's still a bit of a stigma that yoga has, which is really unfortunate. And I would have hoped by 2020, we wouldn't feel like that about something so fantastic. But, um, but yeah, I just keep sort of, you know, um, flying the flag for yoga. And, you know, I get that whole thing around Instagram with the fancy pictures. I mean, yes, it looks pretty on the gram to have a, a girl doing yoga in a little crop top and, you know, whatever in the body and what have you, that's all very attractive. But I also love seeing, you know, um, plus size women or really um, inflexible men or whatever it might be, put, po- uh, put pictures on the ground because that, that is actually the reality of it. It's very few people get their tops off in classes of mine anyway. So, and there's very few men with their shirts off, you know, it's, it is a very internal practice and we, we try to, um, we really try to promote that as much as we can, that this is a, a practice for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, what you look like, how flexible you are. It's for everybody. And it, it is one of the few things that you can do where you really, um, there is no kind of, um, you. I mean, it's a practice of not being distracted by people around you, but it is a, it eventually becomes that practice where you just not, nothing around you distracts you. You're just on your mat doing your thing. And it's, it's a beautiful way to connect to yourself um, through movement. So, yeah. But we keep working on that perception that is you've got to be flexible. It's yeah, it's so isn't about that. Well, I I I had I wouldn't say like an aversion, but I was probably lucky that through a lot of the work that I've done, yoga has been such a regular access point. I mean, I'm very grateful for that because I probably would have been uh, one of the the skeptics or people who have like resistance to it. And over the years, I've brought many of my friends, like male friends, many of my teammates along to yoga, and I found. A lot of the time they would come to me based on probably what they see on Instagram, not what I posted, maybe what I was tagged in. You know, and they'd be like, oh, you know, you're a yoga guru. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like I, I said, <laughs> I can't touch my toes. My hamstrings feel like they're made out of concrete. They go, oh, well, you know, my physio recommended this and that. And, you know, when it's around, we say, look, it's really just stretching and breathing. That's that's what it is. You know, things that they go, oh, uh, the penny dropped for me when I like really dropped when I knew it was going to be able to support me in things outside of, you know, when it, with, when I was playing uh, footy, when playing my sports or warming up, cooling down, doing stretching. I was like, this is very similar to a yoga pose that I'm doing. And when, when, and it's not just men, you go, oh, women also say, oh, I'm no good at yoga. Men, like, I'm no good at yoga. And I would say to them, I'd like to have a bit of fun. and say, well, you show me someone who is, go, oh, that person on Instagram. Look, oh, so are they the best, are they? They go, oh, yeah. Well, I said, there's no world yoga championships. You know, you don't get a gold medal, you know, or there's no reigning champ, you know, with like yoga or not a competition, but something, and I only had a thought about this this morning and particularly with the guys is guys don't want to look silly. That's the guy. Oh, I don't know how to do it. And they see all these things. They think they can't do it. They think they're going to make a fool of themselves. hundred percent valid. Like I get that. Mm. Then I'm like, where are other places? Where's, where is there? I don't know where it's like a, not so much a double standard, but a contradiction. And I thought of one is like men and yoga in some ways is similar on a smaller scale to men and golf. Because oh. you, when you think about it, right, guys go, oh, I don't want to go to do yoga if I'm not very good at it because I'll look stupid. Almost every time 
me and my mates go and play golf, no disrespect to the good golfers, it's more the ones at my level, they're totally prepared to look stupid and they're no good at it, but they yeah. turn up week after week. And yeah. I get it. There's a, it's, we're talking like chalk and cheese, yoga and golf, but the, the concept of like looking stupid is, is gone with that. And I don't know whether it's like an environmental thing. And I just, I find that fascinating how guys are worried about, you know, not, not looking good when there's so many other areas of their life where they can Do you know what it might be? Do you know what it might be? I just had this thought too. Like in yoga, there is a, there is a person up the front that they have the perception that is the guru of this thing. Mm. That is, the, you know, there's this person that's instructing them and they are clearly someone that's, you know, obviously got a lot of yoga in their background if they're a teacher and, and they don't want to look silly to the teacher maybe. I guess they may not care as much for the people around them, but they perhaps don't want to look silly to the teacher or like they don't know what they're doing. So there is an element of being watched, I suppose. Maybe in golf, they're only being watched by their mates and so they don't really care as much if they swing and miss, which would be me. I mean, let's mm. face it. I'm, I, I, this is the other funny thing. Like I'm not a very sporty person. I was never a very sporty person. I played netball, you know, in school, primary school and mixed netball later in school, <laughs> you know, later after school with boys who just made it fun and we didn't play by the rules then. But, you know, it's not like... Um, I've, I've been good at other things like movement wise. I never did dancing. I did a bit of gymnastics when I was a kid, but there was no per, one person, I think, maybe besides, you know, your coach or your team or, you know, might be watching you, but they're there to encourage you. And I think that's the, the thing that maybe they don't know when they come to yoga. I'm there to encourage them, to encourage them to just drop the you know, the expectation of themselves and just get into your body. And it doesn't, I always say this line to us, always say it does not matter what it looks like. It only matters what it feels like. Mm. And that is something I say in almost every class because inevitably there will be a guy that will be, I'll be saying all these things like soften down into your body, you know, um, less stress and strain, more ease, more softness, that kind of stuff. And you'll still see that one type A that will just be pushing and pushing and flexing and gripping. And, and I'm actually talking to that one person, even though I'm saying it to everyone. So I think it's, there might be that idea that they have to impress the teacher. Um, and it comes back to that thing. I got to be good at it. I got to be like everyone else in the room and I got to be able to touch my toes and do all that. So if I can't do it, I'm not willing to put myself in there um, and make a fool of myself. But yeah, for anybody that's never done yoga that, you know, has that kind of idea that maybe it's like that. I'll just say that, it, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. It just, it just isn't like that at all. And if anything, if you, if you come clean at the start and say to the teacher, I've never done any yoga, um, you know, I, I can't touch my toes. I'm pretty inflexible. Chances are the teacher's going to say something like that. You're in the right place. This is where you'll start to feel some of those things happen. And over time, like anything with persistence and with consistency, you'll find you'll get those things. But what changes I think is that you have those, those goals at the start. And I did too. Like, I just want to touch my toes. And then it just becomes so much more than that. You realize that that's just such a small part of this practice, you know, being able to be flexible. So, yeah, but I think just giving it a go and being, you know, don't have any expectation of yourself and, um, and yeah, and just get in there and see, see for yourself that it is not what you might think it is. It's something that's, um, yeah, completely different to that. And that's, that was another turning point for me is knowing that in doing it, sometimes like I didn't look forward to it. It's like, oh, this is going to be 
hard because I'm not going to say it's painful, but there's levels of discomfort where you're pushing through. Okay, I can stretch here. I can I can do this pose, and it just allowed me to know my body so much better. And the older I got, and still playing sport, I knew, I sort of would know. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't push this. I've got a bit of awareness here, or a bit of a tingling yeah. in my elbow, or whatever it may be, and just gave me such a better understanding of my body. And I literally would urge all of my male mates who are potentially curious about yoga and who are too scared or intimidated or just you know didn't want didn't any reason to stop me from going and doing it really go and the teacher that being said the teacher does make a huge difference you know going to going to the right teacher to be able to create a safe inclusive um space for for anyone to do yoga not just not just guys so yeah, yeah and it's, it's been a been a game changer for me oh that's so good to know and i know we've done some footy uh, footy <laughs> we've done some yoga together at uh your um at at, or not at your footy club, but your mates came in mm. footy club to yoga, and uh, we did that um, fun uh, road trip out to what was the name of that town we went to? Um, oh, um, and we stopped at the pub. Coolin, Coolin, yeah, and we went yep. to the pub because it was raining. Had a little cheeky red, um, and did some yoga out there. Mainly ladies turned up for that. That was mm. that was the men's health event, wasn't it? But yeah, it's um, it's just for everybody. Like I've done yoga with. Um, I've done yoga with old people as in, you know, up in around their seventies, late seventies. I've done yoga with babies. <laughs> it's just, it just across every age group, you know, you can, you can get um, any human body on the mat and, um, and teach them yoga. So it's pretty extraordinary because I don't, I don't know if I could find something else that I could compare where I could say, Hey, come along and we'll do this thing. And you're okay. You're 89. That's all right. We'll, we'll be right. <laughs> but you could with yoga, you know, put them on a chair and they can do chair yoga. Or if they're a baby, you get their blanket out and you, you lay them down and you wiggle their legs around and, and help them do some yoga stretches. You know, it's, it's just great. It, it is for absolutely everybody, even, even disabled bodies. You know, I've, I was having a, a chat recently to um, Brant Garvey with, um, with, we've been running together a little bit. And he's I was a big, having, big fan of the show, Brant. Yeah. Yeah. Is he? Hey Brant. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was, I was saying to him, you know, have you done some yoga? He's done a bit. I said, how hard is it for you? You know, he's like, oh, well, I've got to take the leg off to do it. So it's really challenging for someone like that, but um, still possible. Uh, and that's the thing. It really doesn't matter um, if you're able-bodied or not. You could get on a mat and do something and, you know, get into your body. And yoga isn't just about getting into postures. Yoga is meditation. It's mindfulness. It's being compassionate and considerate. There's all sorts of things that I think um, are a definition of yoga. So, yeah, the poses are just one aspect. There's branches of this yoga practice, you know, not just the asana. Do you think there'll ever be a world yoga championships? <laughs> Look, you know, I've never, that one thing I've never done, I've never done Bikram yoga. And I believe that there were championships of, of Bikram yoga back in the day. I think there was a competition. <laughs> you had to rock up in your speedos and um, on a stage and you got, you got, uh, yeah, you were, you were numbered on, you had little numbers on you and yeah, you were judged. So oh. I might have to might have to look that up and get a uh, get a link and put it in the show notes if I can find some YouTube footage of the World Yoga Championships and, okay, and prove me wrong. <laughs> yeah. Now, you also one of the things that I love about you, yoga aside, is that you're a proud card carrying vegan. Oh, that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, is, is card carrying too extreme? You're you're a proud vegan. <laughs> But I, you're also 
you're a you're a friendly vegan. I'm friendly. And yeah. to all those other vegans that I know out there, you're no all difference. great. That sort of stuff. Probably because I'm so close. We've just had some really good good chats and about about certain you know things to do with with uh, the vegan lifestyle, the vegan movement. Yeah. Now, are you are you a vegan for uh, ethical reasons, environmental, or all of the above? That sort of stuff. Health yeah. reasons. Yeah, all, I reckon all of the above. I think um, when I when I first decided, I, I I was vego for a very long time, vegetarian, and um, I can't. Uh, it's about twelve. Oh no, it's longer. Sugar. It's been about. You're allowed 12, to swear on the show as well, I, just in case you know. We got the we got the the explicit content okay. warning. Not encouraging you, but yeah, feel free, safe space. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's over 12 years. I was just trying to remember back and, and I always base things on how old my son is because he's, he was such a badly behaved child. <laughs> there were, there were gaps in my memory cause I was numb, but, um, I think it's about 12 or 13 years. And originally it was because I was a vegetarian and I, I thought I just don't want to eat animals. I just, it was about not wanting to eat animals and milk and cheese and eggs all came from animals. And it, I, I suddenly kind of thought, well, I'm, I'm sort of being a bit hypocritical here because I'm, I'm not eating meat, but I'm also, but I am eating eggs and I'm eating, you know, cheese and butter and dairy and whatever. So, uh, I was, we were in New York at the time. It's, um, in my days when I was married and we were in New York for about three months. And back then there was, Oh God, that like on every corner, there was something that offered vegan. There was even standalone vegan places, which I'd never seen. And it was so easy to be vegan. And so I did it while I was there. I just did a trial. So this is my toe dipping, you know, um, idiosyncrasy. I just dip my toe in and see what it's like. So in New York, I did that for two months or whatever it was. And then we came back to Perth and back to life. And I was like, Oh God, it's so hard here to be vegan. I'll just be vegetarian again. And but I, I just struggled with this eating of animals. I just, you know, I just, in the end, I was like, I just, yeah, I can't do it. I, I just took a stance, I think, against, you know, animal cruelty. But in the back of my mind, because, you know, um, I'm human, I was like, well, I also, it's healthy. It's healthy to, to not eat red meat and to, you know, not eat lots of milk and cheese and things like that. That's healthy anyway. So it was about animals. It was about being healthy and you know, and if I'm really honest, I was doing a lot of Ashtanga and it really helped me um, with Ashtanga because you didn't feel the heaviness of, you know, I mean, not that I'd eaten meat, but you just didn't feel the the heaviness of dairy in your body or, um, you know, I, I could feel the difference when I was practicing. And so I liked that. I liked that feeling of lightness. And so those are probably my three reasons. I, 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 I was very much about the animal welfare and then I was you know also about yep this is a really healthy lifestyle I went a bit far though because I, I also at the time this wasn't toe dipping <laughs> this part of it this this was me jumping out of a plane kind of thing but I decided I tried to be a raw vegan at the same time because why not um okay, and what's the difference between a a vegan and a raw vegan for probably a lot of my friends and, and <laughs> listeners who aren't sure and you know as you said I was like I actually forgotten what raw yeah, raw vegan is um, raw food diet. It's you know um, you don't cook anything. Everything is kept under a certain heat temperature, um, so you don't lose any of the nutrients in it. So I bought myself a dehydrator, and I dehydrated. <laughs> I dehydrated 
till the cows came home. This the the plant based cows, but um, I, I, <laughs> I was going to say, can you say that? Is it a, you know, a vegans allowed to say that? I don't know. I, I just corrected myself, <laughs> but I just dehydrated absolutely everything, including I bought this book, this recipe book. There was maybe one at the time, and um, <laughs> you could make pancakes. I was like, show me how, because I miss those things being yeah. raw. So. Yeah, it took 72 hours to make one pancake, but hey, it was <laughs> So I tried that. I actually just stuck at that for about eight months, but I really hadn't done much research. And, you know, I'm the first one to say I, I am a speed reader and I glance over things and I often forget to sign important documents because I just don't do the reading sometimes. And with, with Raw Vegan, I didn't do the reading and ultimately lost a lot of weight. And I'm not a big framed person, but um, back then even I was lighter than what I am now. And I, I, yeah, I think when my sister said to me, Donna, I can see your kneecaps. I thought oh. might've taken this one a little bit too far. So um, yeah, so I'd lost an awful lot of weight. So basically it just means you don't cook anything. And so raw vegans live on dehydrated things and all fresh produce, pretty much fruit and veggies. And it's, it's kind of limited in its diet. You know, what I was making was pretty much the same thing every day. Um, you know, breakfast would be a smoothie, lunch would be a salad, dinner would be, sometimes I could make a cold soup or something like that. But through the winter, it was really hard. And I got a really, uh, I injured my shoulder actually doing something in yoga and um, it took so long to heal. And I was seeing a physio and then I ended up seeing an Ayurvedic lady who did this amazing massage on my, my shoulder um, over three days um, using oils and this, this vacuum cleaner that had like, heat coming out of it like a steam cleaner thing and um she fixed it and she but she kept saying to me you need to eat hot food now your body's just completely shriveled up and you need to put some weight on so i i didn't want to not be vegan still but i just started eating more lentils and you know just started incorporating hot food again but um not for the faint-hearted uh, uh, raw diet that's for sure no. <laughs> so i wouldn't recommend it unless you do your research <laughs> Unlike well, me. It's uh, talking about like research. I feel like uh, every time we'd have to go out for dinner somewhere, I'd have to check their menu because you sit down, I know what I'm having. And you'd be like, um, just like, put, your, <laughs> put your hand up. Right? And what, what I have learned from that though is like, is like options are the main thing. And like I actually eat at home predominantly plant-based these days. Yeah, right. So oh, yeah, it's, um, and through, and this has been really kick-started like, I'm, I've you know done some research and well aware of the health benefits of living you know having a predominantly plant-based diet, the environmental uh, benefits that it has uh, as well, and also like this the cost. It's a lot cheaper to go you know you can roll up to the markets and you can pretty much buy your food for one for a week for fifty bucks I think, right. and then you once you stockpile all your spices and your different types of rice and your lentils and those sort of things um, because I'm a big Stuff. yeah yeah, yeah. I, i'm a big taste guy as well and and I, I don't think i'll ever be full full vegetarian however the i think knowing that you can make such simple you know tasty meals that are that are vegetarian or to be honest most vegan because I, I i don't you know like one thing i can't go is like i love my chocolate milk after i run like it's literally the best thing i know <laughs> Like the almond milk one though, that's really yummy. Uh, maybe maybe I'll give that a go, like, but I feel like it's almost like my reward. Is and maybe I just need to put more sugar in it. I don't know, but have a lot of coconut milk the other time. And look, you go if you trust me on this. Go and uh, to the supermarket and buy. I think the brand is called Breeze or Sea Breeze or mm-hmm. something like that. And, it, and it's a almond milk. Um, it's got like a palm tree on the. I can't think what the name of it is. Anyway, 
chocolate milk. It's delicious. It's cacao. It's yeah. The, the chocolate they use is like um, cacao, you know, proper powder and no, no sweetener in it. And it's absolutely, I've bought it before and I'm not a chocolate milk girl and don't really like it, but I've had it before and liked it and thought this is a really nice alternative, you know, so try it. Do you, do you miss cheese? Nah. You don't. You know, vegan cheese now is really, really way better than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's not, yeah, you, I saw you pause. It was like way better than it used to be. Yeah, but. No, look, when they first did, <laughs> oh, look, I'm, I'm, see, this is the thing. All the things that people think that they would miss were not things that I was really into. So I never ate a lot of cheese. I, my big thing was milk. I loved milk. I used to fight with my sisters over the the cream on the milk. I, see, I'm old and we used to have milk bottles. When I, I know you don't know. What You're not is, old. But, um, you know, we had milk bottles delivered when we were kids and my sisters and I used to fight over the cream on the milk. I was a milk lover. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And um, you know, I think as I got older and, um, you know, and, and these things, I think, you know, we can grow into allergies as well. I think as I got older, I started, you know, dealing with rashes and skin things. And I, I, you know, often think like, Oh, I, I think about this dairy content. Cause I used to drink a lot of milk and, um, you know, when I stopped having dairy and I do, I do have to say now, I mean, I am. I am, you know, 28 now, so. Yeah. <laughs> plus plus GST. Plus yeah. GST. I am a bit older now and I have to say, I know my skin is so much better for it. You know, I, I look at my skin now and just people say to me, oh, your skin's so glowing all the time. And I do attribute that to having a, a, a plant-based diet, but milk especially, I think, was a, a bit of a trigger and maybe a maybe a maybe um, an allergen that I built. I, I ended up getting an allergy to as a, an adult. But, yeah, I think it's... um. Not something I miss, definitely not cheese. And there is some really, I, I will take, I, I will say there is one good cheese, one really yummy cheese. It's kind of meant to be like a, a, a brie cheese and it's pretty nice. I have to and say. vegan? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll Next pop time. it in the show notes so all the people can go and uh, okay. can put it out there and see what they, uh, what they reckon. Notes. All right, yeah, get the feedback on that. I like it. I love it actually. How do you or actually be interesting? Because the first episode of the Darcy Yama show was uh, Maddie Gleason, the cheese boss. Uh, love, and I love you know, that one. Love and um, yeah, she's a big fan of the show as well. I'm <laughs> sure she's listening. And what I, what I want to ask here as well is obviously, you've got a lot of friends who aren't vegan. Yeah. Is there any, any sort of like, uh, like sadness or like judgment that comes in when, you know, they went the people in your circle in your life like aren't vegan or like vegetarian yeah uh, look as you said at the start i'm a friendly vegan i i just um i don't judge people if they're not vegan i try well i try not to i might you know i might try to convince them to try something vegan mm. for me you know i'll often i absolutely love cooking and i love um trying new recipes and things and making stuff up and i often invite people over i'm having zion cindy over actually next week and uh I know Zaid likes his, you know, meat and stuff. So he, steak um, and all this. He'd probably go and bloody catch it himself. He loves <laughs> yeah, that sort exactly. of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so he's coming over for dinner with Sin next week. And like, I just love inviting people over that might not get an opportunity or, or, or would probably not choose the vegan option and or the vegetarian option when they go out for dinner. So if they eat something at my house that I've cooked, you know, nine times out of 10, they're really surprised at how tasty it is and, 
you know, that it, they can't believe that it doesn't have any milk if it's really cream. Like I recently made a um, this pumpkin and um, lasagna that had this kind of cheese on the top and it was made from cashew and, you know, it was, it was absolutely delicious. And I made it for a friend who had a, her appendix out and they're not vegan. And her, her, her husband, Pete, he, um, he greeted me at the door as I was giving this lasagna over and I said, Oh, he said, is this meat lasagna? And I said, no, it's vegan. And he just looked at me and I said, no, you'll, you'll like it. Trust me. It's really tasty. And anyway, he texts me a bit later that night and he was like, can I please have that recipe? That was the most delicious. So I think people are really surprised at how tasty it is. And look, I don't judge you if you eat meat and we've been out, you and me have been out mm. for dinner before and you've said, oh, look, I, I really need a bit of seafood or I really need a bit of, I don't, that's fine. You know, I do my bit and I, I know that everyone is doing the best that they can and I'm doing the best that I can as well. And I, if I can just continue to do this and one person says to me, can I have the recipe for that? It might mean that they, you know, get a little bit more uh, into a plant-based and less of meat-based and that might just make a, a difference to their life and, you know, our, our earth. So I think that it's like the ripple effect, you know, I'm just like the little pebble that gets dropped in and it's just, you know, creates the little ripples around and hopefully people pick up on that vibration and, and do their little bit as well. If we all just did a little bit, you know, like this is this meatless Monday movement is fantastic because people everywhere, I've got lots of friends that do meatless Monday and post their recipes on Facebook to share or Instagram to share. And it's great. It's like if everyone just does that once a week, it's, it makes a massive, massive difference to the world. So yeah, we all just do our little bit. And that's why I don't, I don't want to get into that you know, oh, you know, you should do this and do, you know, everyone's just doing the best they can. And that's yeah, you're right. I, I, I give it some thought. Another shower thought that I had, like there are, there are some out there who are so ruthless in their, their, their thoughts. And it's like, well, if you don't, if you're not vegan, then basically you hate animals and this and that. And, yeah. you know, like I, I come from a, a small country town where farming's, farming's life down there and even, you know, and I'll, I've happily eaten and at some ways we'll continue, not happily, that's the word, but, you know, without a thought, eat like, you know, lamb, beef, chicken, all that sort of thing. And I'll still look at a, look at an animal and go, oh, that's cute, you know, and I can make the association like that's still something, you know, and it's just that cognitive dissonance that is easy for me in that, that respect. And it's, there's like, there's my, my thoughts on this as well is like, first thing that, the, the shower thought that I had, this could be like, like hot take, you know, somewhat controversial. And the example I'm using is, is, is a, a random one, but it's like, if you've got, you can still be good friends with someone who is vegan and someone who is almost like carnivore sort of stuff. Right. I think we need to have like open minds. And I was reading somewhere the other day, the example I'm making, and this is more just food, pardon the pun, food for thought and saying there was something about like Donald Trump and saying that you can have someone who, supports donald trump and someone who doesn't you can still be friends with that person it doesn't make them a bad person they just have they believe in different things you know and obviously there's you know without getting into too much you know, a lot of stuff that uh, that donald trump does that is you know uh, pretty ordinary uh, as well i'll make that very clear but then the the, the really interesting one is that, and maybe it's like a lot of australians you know we like to be casually, you know, just take the piss out of people and mock people where it's very easy for some cultures where, you know, dogs and cats are eaten uh, or, you know, like I've been to Japan and horse meat is on the menu and Australians who eat meat will be like, oh, but you can't do that. You know, eating like horses and it's all of these 
emotional connections that we make to animals because then if they go, you can't eat a cat and a dog, that's your pet. Where there's some cultures that go, you eat a, you eat a pig or you eat a cow, that's sacred. How are you doing that? So it's all it's all relative uh, around the world. And a really good you know. point though, Dusty, because I think that that thing around, um, like I have some friends whose um, son uh, had a chicken when he was younger. He called it Pumba and Pumba, <laughs> yeah, from, uh, from that show from the Lion King. So Pumba uh, was the backyard chicken and, you know, m- uh, my friend, the mum would cook whatever for dinner and, you know, siblings, they all ate the same meal. And one day he said, they were having chicken for dinner and he was like, it was, it, it just became so clear. It was like six or something. It became so clear. He was eating a Pumba. And from that point on, he said as a little six year old, I don't want to eat chicken anymore. And then he made this connection to beef and to fish and to all that. And I think it's, 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 we understand it as, as, you know, as adults, as we get older, we understand, we associate that. Okay. Well, this snake is, you know, it's eaten in the wild, but it's not what we want to see on our menus. And kangaroo is on the menu for dogs and, you know, for pets or whatever, But and in the shops now, but, you know, we wouldn't want to really see that on the menu. Horse and, you know, fluffy little kittens, you know, if you thought about it as, you know, an animal that is farmed, you would you would not think twice about it. But when we think of them like, yeah, fluffy little kittens or cute little echidnas or whatever it might be, you're horrified that anybody would eat that. And, but that's the way I think vegans see all animals that they all, none of them have a a right to die, you know, and slaughtered like that. And I think the big thing for vegans is just slaughterhouses and and killing animals inhumanely. And, you know, I, I understand, you know, the sheep trade and all of that sort of stuff. I don't agree with it. I, I, I just, I understand it. And, um, I just don't want animals to be um, killed thoughtlessly. And, mm. you know, that just, that bothers me a lot. But I think if you did, you know, there was a, there was a campaign in America, I, I remember a few years back where they had a photo with a man's eye. Do you remember this? I think it might've been Joaquin Phoenix, maybe was the, the model in it because he's vegan. Um, so it was his eye and they'd sort of superimposed a chicken over the top with the same eye. So it was like, we're all animals, you know, we shouldn't be eating animals just because they have feathers or just because they have scales or whatever. So it was kind of a, it was a kind of cool campaign, but yeah, I I don't, um, I just, I don't, I don't, you won't change everybody, you know, in, in, in a, in my lifetime probably, but you know, over time, I think we'll come to see, you know, the benefits of not eating animals and what it is for, for our health and what it is for the earth. And I think, you know, it's becoming clearer and clearer when we look at those, you know, films that get, that are being made, that are being brought out of, you know, um, Cowspiracy and all those um, uh, films that have come out about veganism and the impact on the environment. I think, you know, we'll all probably end up having to do it as a necessity to save the planet at some point, perhaps not in our lifetime, but maybe in, in, you know, our children's children's lifetime or something. I think you've spot on with, with the, you know, the agricultural and animal industry, First and foremost, things need to be done humanely. You know, and I, I know I know firsthand that there's a lot of operators out there who are doing their best within their means and to still be able to make a living. And it's not going to change overnight. It's not going to change in six months. It's going to take years and years for best practice and things to come in. Like I think uh, mulesing or something like that has now been banned in like New Zealand and that sort of stuff. You know, and 
you'll have people saying, well, it's done for reasons for the, actually for the animal's benefit and sheep are shorn because the amount of wool that they grow over their lifetime would become too much for, too heavy for them to support. So there's valid reasons, which I, I don't need to get into because I'm in by no way or means a, an agricultural expert. I did have an interesting conversation with a, a friend of mine the other day and I'll tell you who gets a rough deal out of, you know, uh, talking about what gets eaten is fish because i feel like so many people are like pescatarians and i i quizzed a friend on because this friend was posting things on social media like oh you know save here's a cute pig why would you eat a pig here's a cow you know why would you eat a cow and i just got you know had a chat with this person i was like so i saw on your instagram that you were you're enjoying some seafood the other night i said what's what's the difference there you know and said, well, how come the fish gets a rough end of the stick? I said, oh, well, yeah, it's a bit different. I said, said, look, we've got time. I said, please explain to me, you know, the difference. And I said, I have no judgment here, but if you're kind of, you know, campaigning or virtue signaling about this stuff, so explain to me the difference how you can gladly eat a fish, but then you stop and you'll condemn others for eating a cow or a pig. So, oh, well, and obviously they didn't have an answer for me and stuff and my, my purpose wasn't to make the person wrong it was probably more for them to realize the uh the hypocrisy and what they were they were putting up there and i said look there may be some so not me who might uh you know if you're putting this on your socials you know uh call that hypocritical you know and this person was like what do you mean I'm not quite seeing it and eventually i got out of them that and i appreciated this person's honesty so i said so explain to me how you can eat them. She says, well, it's only the cute ones that I care about. And I'm like, ah, like there it is. And I said, look, you know what? There's probably a lot of people out there. And I said, so it's fish's fault that they're ugly that you want to, eat, or you don't see them every day or there's not one walking around or, you know, but anyway, yeah. Oh, I think there's a. It's true. I think, I don't know what it is. We don't see fish. We don't see fish on farms walking around looking cute. We don't see them, you know, um, I don't know, in backyards and people's, like if they're in a, if they're in someone's house, they're little goldfish and we don't think about eating goldfish because they're just pets. And so we don't see a big snapper as a pet or, you know, so they're fair game really, aren't they? When you don't see well, them around. Yeah. Anywhere. Out of sight, out of mind. It's that it's yeah. cognitive dissonance yeah. times a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And I think I, I always used to say just jokingly, but it's, it's, it's the truth, really. I mean, I don't eat anything with lips. <laughs> so, <laughs> pair of lips, I don't eat it. But no, I, I, or someone actually sent me a funny little meme once and said, I don't eat anything but shits. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, pretty much stand by that. So, you know, fish have eyes and hearts and, you know, breath in their body. Well, the way they breathe is a bit different to us. But, you know, they're a living creature and I, you know, people, there's always this argument. And I wonder if this was one of your questions, actually. I was preempting it a little bit at the start. But, you know, Donna, you kill all these plants to survive. You know, what do you think about the plants' feelings? Because I've been asked that question before. You know, what about plants? They're living things. And, you know, yes, they are. But, um, yeah, they don't have hearts and eyes and lips and feelings. And, you know, like I, I visited a friend in, in L.A. last year and um, I met her on some yoga training. And uh, I happened to, after the training in Colorado, I said to her, oh, I'm actually going back to L.A. And she said, oh, whereabouts? I'm, you know, I'm in L.A. And turns out she was in the suburb that I was going to be staying in. And I said, Oh, that's great. Like I'll come to one of your classes and maybe we can go grab a drink. And anyway, I went to one of her classes and she was telling me actually at the, um, after the class, she's like, Oh, you've got to come back to my house and meet my pet pig. And we're talking LA, you know, so of course this is just the norm. 
But also they live in Manhattan Beach. So Manhattan Beach, if you haven't been to LA, is kind of like a little Bondi. It's just, it's kind of suburban, but it's on the beach and it's really cool and lots of places to hang out. Certainly a lot of people walking their dogs, not a lot of people walking their pigs, but that's what we did. We went walking down to the beach with her pig, which was top three things I've ever done in my life. (laughs) Walking down to the beach in LA with a pig on a lead. And the amount of people that stopped us to have a chat and have a pat and uh, Piggy Smalls, as, uh, as he's known, Mr. Piggy Smalls, is um, <laughs> the most gorgeous creature. He's, he's got an underbite like you wouldn't believe with big teeth that stick out. I think I may have sent you a photo. I can't remember, Dust, but absolutely beautiful. And he is so intelligent, you know, and pigs are, you know, really intelligent creatures. And, I, I mean, I've got my dog, Cleo, the collie, who is very, very smart. And I would say that this pig is not far off being as intelligent as Cleo. He was just so clever and she made him do some tricks and showed me what he could do. And I was in stitches. I had no idea that pigs could be so clever. And um, I think if you could relate to an animal like that, and there's certainly lots of other animals that may not be pets, but are pretty clever. Like, you know, um, my mum used to have magpies come and visit her uh, on the veranda and she'd feed them bits of, you know, bits and pieces and like they were pretty smart and could work things out and she'd get them to do little things where they'd have to find the the food and stuff like that. Um, So I I think that we take for granted or we might just overestimate, um, you know, an intelligence of an animal that, or underestimate, I should say that they're, they're not smart creatures, but a lot of them are. So it just, it makes me think that I think if we could see how clever, you know, which might equate to being more like us. And that's the thing. I think the less like us something is, the more we care less about it. You know, if it's not like us in some way, we we don't relate to it, so we don't care about it, Um, which is probably why fish end up on the plates and people don't really care so much about the fish. They're so unlike us. They live in the water, you know, they breathe in the water and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, and a horse isn't really like us, yet it could be a pet. So people relate to that a little bit more. So, yeah, but if we could see animals as, you know, clever creatures, we may think twice about eating them, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's, it really is an interesting one and one that there's never going to be a, a definite answer on the right way to go, the wrong way to go. Like the environmental impact is, is definitely a, a, an argument that carries some weight. And I just, I really put it down to, to the the cognitive dissonance that word again because even like growing up i knew that there were you know we saw like the world vision ads and there's your people who don't have enough to eat in in africa or and i was aware of it and but it also didn't stop me from not finishing my plate or sending money to donor and we just have this innate ability to kind of be as humans i think not everyone but a lot of people can just focus on what what matters then is outrage if a if a people go trophy hunting in Africa, you know, condemn, yeah. you know, outrage. Whereas there's no difference, you know. Essentially, we're just putting, we're saying, oh, well, sure. As humans, we like to promote, like, or just have value in these rare things, or something that's like majestic or mm-hmm. whatever. But there's not outrage that there's, you know, that obviously there's limited numbers of lions and tigers and rhinoceroses and, and those sort of things yeah, whereas yeah. like whales people are like oh enjoy like oh yeah you know save the whales and that sort of stuff but it's just whatever happens to be like maybe flavor of the month and once yeah. again really bad segue there you know talk about like food and stuff but um yeah 
I tell you one thing about walking a pig, though. You get you do get a lot of attention from the uh, from. I mean, if it's like men with babies. Let's face oh. it. If you're a man with a baby, there will be a ton of women lining up to you know have a chat with you about your baby. And the, and the pig, you know, we certainly got accosted by a few dudes down the beach with their surfboards. <laughs> right. I did want to bring this pig home with me actually. <laughs> was it a, and it was it was a pet pig. It wasn't like an emotional support pig. No, no. De- <laughs> well, maybe. No, no, definitely a pet pig and um yeah, he slept in her room with uh, her partner, her and her partner had a little bed in the room with him. They lived in a tiny apartment too, just a uh, a ground How floor. How big was the pig? Oh, it was a barrel. It was like a barrel, like a keg barrel. It was huge. It it had very stumpy legs, massive, massive body, fat body, but low to the ground, compact, and um, the ugliest face you could ever imagine, but so damn cute, just just so damn cute. I'll have to send a photo. Maybe we can put that in the, in the, in the show comments. notes. Do you, would you, would you know, speaking of, uh, of, you know, being, uh, being approached by the men with the, with the pig and stuff, would you think that approach would work in Perth? Uh, you know, uh, with the with the dating dating scene. Just, I reckon, I'd I'd have. I don't actually know. I was going to say something. No, I don't know. I don't know. It it would certainly generate some interest if you walk down Scarborough Beach with a with a pig on a lead. That's for sure. But you'd probably have kids and things coming at you more than you know silver foxes or. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you're trying to attract the silver fox <laughs> these days? I can tell you, I'm 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 a vintage. So you know, looking for looking for someone that's of my in vintage, but um, yeah, I think you'd certainly get a, a fair bit of uh, a fair bit of attention with a pig on a, a lead. That's for sure. Uh, but definitely it. dogs are a, an attractor of, of men. I find that when I've got Claire with me, there's a few more men that will want to have a little chat about, you know, the, the farm dog kind of thing. So yeah, she is a good little, she's a good little, uh, you know, conversation starter at times as well. Well, I took a, I took Claire for a walk when she was a puppy. And yeah. I remember, I think you were talking to uh, another big fan of the show, Kat Aykroyd. You were chatting with her or somewhere. I was like, I'll just walk ahead here. And I, you're talking <laughs> about like accosted or approached. I was like, um, I'm just going to walk a little yeah. bit further here. The amount of chicks who came up and were, were chatting to me. And on, on the flip side, when I first moved to Melbourne, I saw a bloke walking his cat on a lead. And as many people who know me, I'm a big, big fan of cats, love dogs too. And I looked and I was like, I'd always said, I'd do that. You know, I'd walk walk my cat. If I don't have a cat, but if I had a cat, that's what I would, uh, what I would do. But thoughts, if you saw a guy walking his cat. Uh, Nada, zilch, zip. Hard no? That's a hard no. Very firm no. No, that, that to me, it doesn't, to me, it's like akin to a crazy cat lady. If you had a cat on a leg, actually, oh God, I hope that my old neighbours aren't listening to this eventually, but um, my old neighbours, uh, young couple, really nice. She's lovely. He's lovely. But they had an indoor cat. So when they took Loki out on a lead and when it was Nicole doing it, she she just, it was just cute. She was cute. She had the cat on the lead. Very cute. When when her husband, David, was doing it, not so cute. It was kind of weird. And if he was wearing tracksuit pants with thongs and socks, even weirder. You just look oh. like a weirdo. So don't do it, Dusty. Well, I was on a, I was on a road trip the other day and uh, with uh, my good friend, uh, Tim Stewart. Uh, he is an avid subscriber. And basically yeah. anyone I mention on the show will be a, be a big fan. If they're not now, you know, they will be one day. <laughs> and just talking about the 
you know, we're umming and ahhing, like he's my he's my housemate, you know, do we get a cat? You know, I'm thinking about getting a dog and those sort of things and recognise it's a it's a big responsibility. We're just talking about we we actually <laughs> we went down to the local dog park the other day. We don't have a dog, let's be very clear about that. And okay. it's just, with these with these COVID times, we we've been doing a bit of walking. You know, I work from home and he, he gets home from work and so we'll go for a walk. So we go down to the park and primarily it's to have a look at the dogs and stuff running around, all sorts of dogs and that sort of thing. And look, I'd be lying if I said there weren't, uh, weren't you know, some potential connections that could be made down there through some of the, uh, the dog owners and whatnot. But so Tim's chatting to this, uh, this lovely young lady. And anyway, I overhear her say, which one's yours? And he's like, um, uh, yeah, we, we don't have one. And she's like, oh, and kind of just recoiled a little bit and walked. It's like, oh, cool. Well, you know, nice to meet you. And then I get, I get bailed up with this guy who had this massive dog. It's some French something. I don't know what it was called off the top of my head, but it's the dog from Turner and Hooch. Anyone yeah, who, all, you know, big orange. Yeah, French bull, massive chateau, Bordeaux, something like that. And anyway, yeah. I was like, oh, cool dog, mate. You don't see many of those. And I really wish that I hadn't have said that because he thought I was super interested in his. So I goes, well, you know, and just proceeds to talk to me for probably a good seven or eight minutes at the park. He goes, well, you know, he was pretty hard to get this guy. You know, I had to pull a few strings. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that's great. He goes, yeah, you know, um, you don't really find many of them uh, on the ground in Melbourne, you know. And anyway, I've got him on about... Uh, you know, uh, 450 uh, grams of dry at the moment. And then, uh, and I'm like, it took me on to really talk about like dog biscuits and stuff. And I'm just <laughs> like, just don't, don't, you know, that's the, the perils of, yeah. of having a, uh, yeah. you're having a pet, you don't want to bump into the wrong person. Yeah. But well, yeah. you know, it's a bit like, it's like people with kids sometimes. Like I've got kids and it's, it's only interesting to you. Yep. Let's face it. Like it really is. It's only really interesting to you that your kid did a, a, a poo and it came out the side of the nappy and it went all over the shopping trolley. That is only interesting to you. That actually happened to me. But I'm not going to go telling that at, at dinner parties because it's only interesting and shit for me. Yep. <laughs> but, um, but it's the same with dogs. I mean, you bump into people with puppies and of course you want to, oh, what is it? What kind of, how old is it? You know, that kind of stuff. And, but I don't want to know about poo cycles or food cycles or sleep cycles it's like a baby mm. yeah i just don't want to say that stuff i want to have a hold of the baby a touch of the puppy and then i want to give it back and be on my way Do you think a bloke you know just hypothetically asking for a friend you think a bloke would have any <laughs> chance if he was walking a cat uh, would it, it would there be a particular type of cat that would uh, would get get him over the line as you know still being uh, yeah eligible bachelor no none whatsoever i just the, the cat on the lead thing for me is neurotic looking it's so strange and so i just think he would be in my mind you would be classed mm, crazy crazy guy <laughs> crazy guy like a crazy cat lady yeah i'm not into it at all i just i'd see that guy lovely couple but i'd see him with the cat and i'd just be going no nah, no nah, nah, well, can't can do it but yeah tune in. I give think it it's a go though I, I would, yeah i'd give that a go dust let me know how it goes borrow one get it on a lead take it out and report back to me i'd a just cat? love to know how you yeah, just yes, do it. Okay. Just, yeah, let me know well, how I, you go. You know, speaking of like odd things, something that I just can't cop, like I try like my hardest is people who, and oh, forgive me if you've done this, you know, but I, this is be a slight element of judgment in it. People who ride their bikes <laughs> with their dog on a lead, I feel are just asking for fucking trouble. 
you know, um, I'll ride my bike and the dog's like, you know, less is like immaculately behaved, but yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not, not a big fan. I feel like you're a danger to yourself. You're a danger to the dog and you're potentially a danger to other people. Yeah, I agree. Let, let's just agree. It's an accident waiting to happen. I mean, I've been, when I go running in the morning, I, ch- I tend to go along the coast just because it's close by. And there are in the summer, especially multiple guys on um, skateboards, on motorized thingos with wheels and bikes, all running with dogs. Um, you know, any, and I just, uh, riding with dogs rather not running, running with dogs is a different story. That's fine. But um, on, a, on some sort of, you know, vehicle, running with a dog it's i just think no you're going to take out someone with that the dogs if i did that with claire i'd i'd face plant for sure she would she would take me out and i'd just smash myself all over the the ground so i'm never going to do it but i'm the same as you i just think it's a danger dangerous thing yeah but anyway some people do it with a very i've seen there is a guy with a motorized skateboard that does it with his dog and very well behaved it yeah he just cruises along on his board with his dog it's great but yeah i wouldn't do it not me. No, I think, yeah, if things go wrong, you're going to get uh, very little, very little sympathy from those uh, around you, potentially a yeah. few concerned, concerned looks. Yeah. And, and a bit like what we were saying before about, you know, you don't want to make a fool of yourself in yoga. I don't want to make a fool of myself running. It's already quite hard work. And I always, already try to be graceful, which is hard work. So <laughs> I, um, I have tripped once, not fallen. You know, it's sometimes I've got to wonder, I'll, I'll ask you this because you're a runner. Have you ever stacked it when you've run and fallen or, and or have you stacked it and just recovered in a very inelegant way but didn't fall, but you just, you, you almost stacked it and the process of not falling was so ugly, you almost wish you fell because <laughs> uh, you kind uh, of just went a bit wild with uh, your body. That went I, I have. I've, I've probably like done it like numerous times. I'm, I learned early in life that if you're going to stack it, just own it, you know? And like, I, it was, I think I was in year nine and we were goofing around in the quadrangle at high school and someone oh, like, someone pushed me over or just pushed me into the bin and the bin went flying. I went flying <laughs> and, the, and it was in the Catanning high school. Everyone was like, Hey, and then people would just hear that and just start making noise going, Hey, and it just like spread around the whole school. And you kind of like, you can't, run away and I thought well I can either own this or just you know try and like dust myself off and you know look so I just kind of laid there you know with a bit of rubbish on me and stuff and just had to kind of cop it (laughs) but I actually fell off my bike a few weeks ago um did you thankfully I was in the underground car park of our building and nobody saw but I literally I've got got my fixie and stuff it'll be on it'll be on the footage somewhere i'm sure it'll be on you know australia's funniest home video shows in a couple of years and i was going to sort of ride up the the balcony not balcony the ramp to get out so i thought i better go wide here and get a bit of a run up and i've got this fixie uh, beautiful fixie but the wheels are and it just slipped and it went straight from under me and i've just like swan dive and just slid on my stomach for like maybe five meters and it's like when you go to like a perth wildcats game and they guys fall over and they put their hands up and they slide on the thing and i just did that so it didn't get hurt i bruised my hand a little bit and i just put a hole in my pants and you just and i was on a way to a date of all things so i was like yeah riding my bike to this date and i was like and it rattled me like i wasn't wasn't myself yeah. and it would have looked 
like uh, we call it like just a real shame job. Like, There's no excuse for me to come yeah, off, but yeah. I did. And thankfully it wasn't like on a road and stuff because you're normally going to take a bit more bark off or hit someone else or get hit by something else. Yeah. But yeah, you got to, yeah, you got to, it's, it's, I laugh at like, <laughs> sorry, dad, like my dad a few times, like we'll be walking and he hasn't stacked it, but just when you're walking along <laughs> and someone just stubs their toe or trips, missteps like a little bit and you're like, <laughs> no, you can't. And he's like, fucking shit it's like under his breath and just keeps walking and you you don't want to laugh at him but you're like that's funny it's so funny when people fall over i'm so sorry i i do love animals and people but i just laugh so much when people stack it and i've done it myself and i know people did that snicker when i did this really really bad stack and i was in i was actually around that um time when we were in new york and Oh, no, 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 it wasn't New York. Sorry, I'm getting confused because there was a stack in New York where I actually almost lost my eye. That's another story. But this stack that I'm thinking of was in Sydney and I was living in Sydney and I was running down the, uh, it was the um, museum station near near the city where I worked and I was running down the museum station train um, station to get on my train. And you know, when you can hear them coming because they're coming up the tunnels and it's mm. the wind coming and I just, you know, put on the big run, you know, I'm not a very elegant runner. Anyway, running wearing not high heels, but wearing like a small boot heel type thing. Last four steps down onto the platform, lost it, lost the step and literally did almost like a tumble roll and landed in in the position where a man would be proposing to his, you know, girlfriend like that. That's how I landed with one knee down. And then I just kind of crumbled to one side, like, like a little sort of deflated butterfly. And the platform's full, like there's people everywhere and I've just kind of tumbled on and done this, you know, um, really bad forward roll with a, you know, little ta-da at the end on my knee. And then I just crumbled a little bit because I was so embarrassed and this guy walked over and then three or four people walked over and I just was like, I'm fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, nothing to see. You know, when you're just so embarrassed and you just, people keep coming at you, go, you're right, you're, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, totally fine, I'm all good, blood coming out of my eyebrow, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm not fine because I'm bleeding. And, um, you know, this guy's like, oh, you're bleeding. I was like, I'm all right, it's fine, I'm, I'm all good, this is good, all good, look, here's the train, everybody, let's get on. <laughs> so embarrassed, you know, that, that A, that I fell and B, that everyone was looking at me and coming over to help me. I just, uh, and then the other one was in New York where I, I fell into a fence, so I was pretty drunk. <laughs> I'd been out um, with uh, with a friend that was visiting in New York at the time, and I was like, "Let's go out, you know. We'll, I'll take you to this really cool um, Thai food bar that was all vegan." And we went there. We had a few drinks, and we got, you know, stumbled back. And I didn't. I tried not to catch the subway because I didn't really understand the lines and everything. So we walked all the way back from the Lower East Side to um, to where we were staying in the West Village. Not not a far walk, but we're really drunk. We got a bit lost, and we ended up near this um, construction site. And as we were approaching the fence, we were laughing about something, and I tripped on something and fell into the fence. And this this bit of wire that was sticking out of the fence just like poked me right oh. in the eye, just on the side. I know you're, you're wincing and I, even the memory of it makes me wince. Just got like a millimetre to the left or to the right. I would have poked myself right in the eye with this bit of wire sticking out. I know, had this big bruise and big stab in my eye for, you know, a good couple of weeks. But of course, didn't feel a thing. Just was like, ow, delayed reaction. And then off we went laughing and walking back home. And it wasn't until the morning I was like, oh, gee, my eye hurts. And this big, you know, egg on my eye. But um, yeah, that was, that was not that embarrassing because, you know, it was just her and I and I was 
I was pretty drunk, so it was okay. But that one down the, the train platform, that was highly embarrassing. But that stack where you try to, try to save yourself as well can almost mm. just look more embarrassing than the fall itself. So it's I probably try to better, save myself. It's probably better to do, like, you got to look, you got to risk looking back to save it because if you don't, you're going on your nose or you're going on your ass as well. But the yeah. like and another time I kind of owned it. Like you talk about like embarrassing situations. Uh I um I I farted in a yoga class once. And you would have heard, you know, this from it's heard this a few times, you know, owning your own studio, but it wasn't just any yoga class. It was uh Christine Felstead was doing the class and it was at the Toronto Yoga Festival. There would have been 150 people in this class and just went down into a little bitty child's pose and just a bit of a <laughs> and and I'm like if those familiar with the pose like head down and I'm like oh no and you hear people like laughing around you and just stay down a little bit longer you know and yeah you know, it happens, oh, it happens to the best you of do, us you do hear it. yeah you do hear it sometimes and as a teacher I just ignore it because I just think better out than in any way mm-hmm. but yeah, you just, you just ignore it. But, I, it, you know, it's happened to me once and only once and it was the most embarrassing um, pose to be in to let a fart slip out. You just you what don't pose want to be in a pose when it happens. Because <laughs> so this is, this is the Ashtanga days where you're trying so bloody hard. Look, look, look I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, put the, the, the fine print about Ashtanga is you have to try hard all the time. There's no slacking off. It's just such a a difficult and hard practice, but um, there's a posture called Dwipada and it's in the second series of Ashtanga and you put your, both your legs behind your head. So you're sitting on your backside <laughs> and you've got this thing, right? You your leg going up behind your head. So you've got to do both of them. So you need someone to help you when you're just learning to do this pose. So the first leg I could do myself <clears throat> and then you've got to balance on your backside pretty much to get the other leg up. And so I had to sort of you know, looked up towards the teacher because no one speaks. You just kind of nod and do that, you know, to get them to come over. So she's what was Dana Longton, actually, you know, Dana. Yeah. She's come up to give me a hand and there's two blokes either side of me in this practice, right? Two pretty young, hot guys. (laughs) And so I've got my first leg up and you have to take a deep breath and just kind of get everything out the way to get the second leg up. And she's put that in behind my head. Then you've got to hold yourself there for five seconds, five breaths. So my hands have come around in prayer in my chest and she's got my legs up and she's kneeing me in the back gently to like help lift me up in it. And it just happened. Like she put her knee in to kind of straighten me up a little bit. Just, just, just <laughs> not real, not like yours, like kind of loud. <laughs> and, you know, everything right there, Dusty, it's all there at the front. It just came out and it amplified because it was, I was at the back of the room and it literally hit the wall at the front of the room. <laughs> uh, and these two good. guys, I started laughing too because it was so funny. And Dana, I could hear her snickering behind me and I was like, I just said, I'm done. Can you just pull me out? So I got out of it and, uh, yeah, the two guys next to me, I'm sure, were just internally laughing. But everyone just tries not to notice that it happened. But, of course, you do notice when someone farts in a class. But you just got to go, oh, well, you know, whatever's. It's only ever happened to me once. That's a It's a fact. You know, everyone knows ladies don't fart. So, yeah, must have been, a, must have been the frogs in the studio. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that was a bit embarrassing. But whatever. Right. 
and this is the thing no one really remembers like you might have that memory of you in that class in Toronto with a hundred people and you're in child's pose just dying but you know, if those people were sitting doing a podcast today, I dare say they're not going to be like, oh, there was this one guy in this <laughs> class. They're not going to remember. It's only us that remember these embarrassing things. But yeah. Oh, farting. Farting and poo jokes. They never get old, do they? No, I think that's something I <laughs> love the most. Like, and you're talking about like falling over. Like, it's funny. As long as no one gets too badly hurt. But the stuff that I watch on like YouTube or Instagram is just people failing, like, you know, as long as you know they're going to be okay, but people hurting themselves just, it really amuses me sometimes. Yeah. I really like those, um, those YouTube or not YouTube's are like little, remember vines when they used to do vines, it's probably mm. like TikToks now, but the vines where there'd be someone doing the ones that used to crack me up would be girls curling their hair with curling irons. It would just <laughs> singe their hair right off. <laughs> they'd be curling it and they take the thing to get the curl and their hair would just come off with it. It would just, that stuff used to make me laugh and laugh and laugh. I love it. <laughs> I think my favourite ones, uh, you just know what's going to happen. There's someone at a party and yep. there's a piñata and there's a kid with a stick or a baseball bat and they're just swinging and dad's standing not too far away or another kid and someone, dad either gets hit in the nuts or another kid gets hit in the face with the stick. And, yeah. It's... Take it out. <laughs> I do love those ones too, yeah. Anytime kids get a little bit hurt but... They're not hurt really badly. They're just a little bit hurt. They fall over. They just stack it wildly. You know, they're just learning to walk. Or there's this funny one that went around years ago. You would have seen it for sure where this little toddler is just not a toddler. It's just a baby learning to walk, walking up a garden path. And this cat just pounces out of the garden and just takes the kid out. Yep. <laughs> Love it. it just, they just make me laugh. I, that kid, I'm sure, wasn't hurt. I'm sure the cat wasn't hurt. That's why it's funny. And that's why you can safely laugh about it. I think a lot of people research them these days and on some of the Instagram pages that I follow, they're like, oh, it looks like really painful. But then they put, don't worry, he's okay. I'm like, oh, good. I don't need to uh, yeah. need to worry too much about it. Don't need to call um, Department of, you know, Children's Services or anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> Donna Buchanan, thank you very much for coming on the Dusty Allen Show. I hope you've had uh, had a great time and it won't be the last time we uh, we have you on the show to help solve some of the uh, the world's problems but uh, yeah really glad you could uh, you could stop by. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's always fun talking to you and uh, yeah, don't forget to um to just pay the invoice when I send it. Of course. Yes, it'll be uh, it'll be be, to be taken care of. <laughs> It's so good to see you and to talk to you, Dusty. Thank you again for having me. Not a problem at all. Thanks for being on the show. You're welcome.